If you're turning with me, we're going to be in Second Samuel. I got you. You thought I was going to be reading the, the story of the crucifixion. I'm going to look at something a little different today. Yeah, that's going to come up and be all in it because it's Easter. It's Resurrection Sunday. But I, I really felt like God was, was saying something to me, and I want to convey it to you. I found the Easter bunny in Scripture and eggs and all that, and it's, it's actually the real meaning. So we've been missing it with Jesus all this time. Um, it's also April 1st, so April Fool's. So I can't be held responsible for anything I say during this message. I get to mess with y'all all day and say whatever. It's April, April Fool's. <laughs> I was kidding about the Easter Bunny being more important than Jesus, by the way. But the Easter Bunny's fine. if he, can. he hopped by my house this morning, I think. Saw some stuff sitting there in front of him. Today I want to talk to you about a cup check. Not a, not a cup check like my 10-year-old's baseball team. I'm talking about a different kind of cup check. <laughs> different kind of cup check here. <clears throat> uh, look, look at somebody and say, what's in your cup? We need to read some scripture. Um, we all have a cup. Your life, you, you have a cup, whether you realize it or not. See, we're created like a cup, and a, a functional cup, a cup that works and that is not broken, can be filled up, and it can be poured out. And you should have both if you're healthy. If you have the living water that Jesus talked about to the woman at the well, if you, if you have that living water inside of you, then you should be getting filled up on a regular basis. And you should be pouring out. Because if you're not, then whatever is inside of you becomes stagnant. And nobody wants to drink that. So, uh, Pastor Bruce says it like this. Whose well are you drinking from? And who's drinking from your well? It's two important questions to ask yourself every, every now and then. Who am I giving to? Who am I ministering to? And who's pouring into me? Who's a giver? Who's a taker? So we all have a cup. So what's in your cup? Is it refreshing? Is it sin? Is it dregs? Is there blood in your cup? Is it just a fix? Just enough to just a sip, just a little bit that's going to run out. You're going to have to get more. Is it what's in your cup? I heard a a story about this guy that he went through a, a pretty bad divorce, and he didn't want to get a divorce, and his wife left him, and she happened to be a blonde, and it just hurt him pretty bad, and he was still a little bit bitter about it, but a little time went by, and he decided to start talking to ladies, and so he went into Waffle House, and there was a few women at the bar, and there was a brunette on the end, and a couple others were blondes, and he didn't even pay any attention to them because he's done with blondes, right? He got hurt by one. So he goes down to the brunette and he says to her, hey, uh, my name's so-and-so. And she said, hey, my name's, he said, uh, could I tell you a joke? It's a blonde joke. And she turns and looks at him and said, I guess you could tell me a blonde joke, but you need to know that these three blondes sitting next to me, these are my best friends. 
and I want you to say it loud enough to where they can hear it. Um, and the one sitting right beside me, she's a diva for WWE, and she works out all the time, and she's six foot three inches tall. You may not be able to tell by her sitting down, but um, she's a pretty tough girl. And then the one next to her, she's a Golden Gloves winner in boxing. She's known as one of the fastest girls in the USA, and she's, she's training now for the Olympics, boxing. And then the one next to her is, a, is into mixed martial arts. She's trying to make it into UFC, and her ultimate dream and goal is to knock out Ronda Rousey. So, um, you still want to tell your joke? He sat there for a second. Hmm. He said, nah, I don't feel like explaining it three times. Then he felt a lot of pain, and he got hurt. Have you ever said something dumb that caused you pain? I have. Pretty sure we all have. Said something out of your mouth, and then I've said things, or better yet, sent texts, and then wish, oh, no, 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 why did I, you wish you could get it back. You let something fly out your mouth, and then you wish you could get it back, because you know, that's going to cause me some pain. Why didn't I just wait to respond? Why, why did I open my mouth? Why did I say something so dumb? Maybe a little bit of bitterness seeped out of your brokenness. Or you thought you knew what was going on. But once you realized you were wrong, it was too late. Maybe you've mistaken a friend for an enemy. You've done something you wish you could take back. You've, you've sabotaged the marriage. It's all different for, for all of us. We're going to look at a kind of funny story. I think it's funny. In 2 Samuel 10, you may or may not have heard it. Um, let me just read you a few verses here. And it came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died. That's not the funny part. And Hanun, his son, reigned in his stead. Then said David, I will show kindness unto Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness unto me. And David sent to comfort him by the hand of his servants for his father. And David's servants came into the land of the children of Ammon. Okay, so the king, the former king, the one that died, he was nice to David, and David's like, I'm going to be nice to him. So David sent some servants to his son to pay respects. To David was friends with the king. He died, and his son took over, and David sent some men to show kindness or pay respect, to bring comfort. These were ambassadors of Israel, ambassadors of the king, like our president would send... Uh, ambassador to somewhere that he couldn't be um, they represented the king I got a question for you if you were sending someone somewhere to represent you would you send an idiot I wouldn't I'd pick somebody I like I'd pick somebody that I trust that they're not going to go say something dumb or they're not going to be an embarrassment or they're not going to go like no when you, when you send an ambassador, when you send somebody to represent you, 
these are going to be some of your best guys. And that's how it would have been for them. It was some of their best guys. These men would have been smart, either generals or warriors from David's army. They were leaders. They would be respected. And they had the, the authority to speak on behalf of the king. They could speak on David's behalf. These guys, they could start a war. I mean, they had some power. And they came into the city unarmed as a sign of peace. We didn't bring weapons. We came here to comfort you and say, we're sorry from David. Verse 3, And the princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hanun their lord, Thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father, that he hath sent comforters unto thee? Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city and to spy it out and overthrow it? Wherefore Hanun took David's servants and he shaved off the one half of their beards and he cut off their garments in the middle, even to their buttocks, and he sent them away. That's the part I thought was kind of funny. It just weird he grabbed these dudes up he shaved off half their beards and half their mustaches and and back then the only jewish men that wore underwear were the priest everybody else wore they wore the long robes and so they cut their robes off so that their butts were hanging out the back and shaved off half their beards and then sent them away and made them walk back through the city Embarrassed, disgraced. That's a kind of crazy story. And so I read it and I was sitting there thinking about it. Let's go ahead and read, read one more verse and then we'll talk about it. Verse 5. When they told it unto David, he sent to meet them. David got word of what happened. And he sent a messenger to go meet them. Because the men were greatly ashamed or offended. They were just ashamed. They were offended. They were hurt. And the king said, Tarry in Jericho until your beards grow, until your beards be grown, and then return. That's odd. He sent messengers to tell him, Stop. Now Jericho was right in between where they were headed. They would be headed back to Israel, so it was on the way. And so he sent a messenger to tell him, stop. Don't come home yet. Don't turn around and retaliate. Don't. Here, here's you some new clothes. Now you stay in Jericho until your beard grows back. David said, wait in Jericho. You were wrong. You were hurt. You were humiliated. I know. But don't retaliate. Why? I will. David said, I got this. You boys just go into Jericho and wait. Wait on your beards to grow back. Don't fight your own battle. Any of you been humiliated? Hurt? Wronged? Offended? Wait. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. The king will fight your battles if you'll let him. If you don't try to do it yourself, 
Sure, these guys, they were warriors. They were generals. You don't think they were coming up with a plan? Let's get these guys back. They disrespected our country and our king and us. David said, no, go wait. I got this. To an, ori- to an oriental, the beard was the mark of his being a free man. A man with a full beard said that he was not a slave. He was free. It was his, a sign of his dignity, his masculinity. And to cut it off was not merely an insult. But it was treating them or saying they're slave. Literally, some stuff you can't say. You're my whatever. That's what they were saying to him. They cut off the beard, and it was against God's law for them to shave their beards unless they had an infectious disease or a couple of different things. So them being Jewish men and leaders, you could have gone up to a man in that day and said, hey, would you rather die or shave your beard? And they'd say, die, gladly. Kill me. They would have rather been caught up and beaten, whipped. Yeah, it would hurt. They had some scars, but to shave their beard was the biggest insult. And it said, you're my slave. You're not a free man. It was against God's law. And so I started thinking about it, and you know, something pretty cool. After Egypt, all the children of Israel, they were all slaves, right? And they left Egypt and they wandered around the desert. And finally, when they walked into the promised land of what God had promised them as free men, the first city that they conquered, the first thing that they took was Jericho. First victory in the promised land as free men with full-grown 40-year-old beards. They were free and they took Jericho. Pretty cool that David said, go to Jericho. He said, hey, look, it's on the way. Stop by Jericho, a place of past victory. Go there and remember that you're free. Don't let this offense, don't let this pain, this hurt, this, this problem that you have, this insult, that don't let it derail you. Don't let it make you try to take matters into your own hands. Don't let it keep you from being who you are don't let it make you a slave go back to Jericho and wait until your beard your masculinity your honor wait until your freedom grows back David's telling them remember who you are remember I chose you for a reason your king says that to you What has called you a slave? What is it in your life? Is it an addiction? A wife? No. What, I mean, what is it? What is the thing in your life that has called you a slave? Do you believe it? Do you listen to it? Unforgiveness will make you a slave. unforgiveness you can't find healing when you're holding unforgiveness you can't you hold in that bitterness 
And it doesn't hurt the person that you won't forgive. It hurts you. It hurts your family and it affects what's in your cup. Man, if I want to have fresh living water and I want to be refreshing to the people I'm around me as a cup, Dusty's cup, I, I can't hold unforgiveness in there. It makes what's in my cup bitter. And it doesn't matter if I'm holding unforgiveness towards Dylan. Well, it makes my water bitter to Canaan when I'm around him. And he don't even know why. Dylan may not even know why. This isn't a real scenario. I'm just an example. Because I'm holding unforgiveness. You know, in, in British history, um, this kind of a crazy story happened. Um, it was the English Civil War in the 17th century. And there was a guy named Oliver Cromwell. And he was trying to overthrow the monarchy. It was King Charles I was the monarch. And they decided that he was unfair and that he had done things to hurt people and that he was a horrible king and that they were going to overthrow him. So this guy Oliver, um, he gets together and starts a, a rally and they sign a treaty and they get all these people together and they overthrew him. And then they tried him in the court. They took the king and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to try you in this court. And they had created a document or a treaty that said, if we ever overthrow him, we should kill him. They did that when he was becoming king. And 59 leaders that were all part of Oliver Cromwell's party all signed the bottom of the treaty. So when they overthrew him, they took him to court. They brought in the treaty and the 59 guys that signed it. And that's what they did. They killed the king. Well, Oliver's party, uh, they had all signed it. Well, they were only in power for 11 years. 11 years they were in power and they ran the, the kingdom and whatever. And after 11 years, the royal party overthrew them. And came back into power. Alright. So now King Charles II. Which was King Charles I. His son. King Charles II. Now he's the king. So. As his first thing as king. He says. To his royal servants. His guard. Whatever. Go and bring me the 59 men that signed the treaty. To have my father put to death. They're going to trial. And we're going to kill them. And so they went around searching for the 59 men. Well, it's been 11 years. So they found all of them except for the 15 of them were already dead. They came back to him and said, hey, um, we got them all except for 15 of them, but they're already dead. He said, okay, go dig them up and bring them to court. They're like, dig up the body? I mean, some of them have been buried for years. They're going to be skeletons. He said, I don't care. They're coming to court. Go get them. So they actually went and dug up 15 dead bodies and then brought the live guys too. And they brought them into court and they propped all the dead bodies up in chairs. Some of them were just bones. They had them like laying on chairs. Oh, kind of like some of y'all on Sunday mornings. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they, they were propped up in chairs 
and then they had court. And I don't know if anybody else's mind works the way mine does, but that sounds pretty funny to me. You have anything to say for yourself? What? Huh? Speak up. What was that? Oh, no? Did you hire a lawyer? No? Guilty. What do you have to say about that? Nothing. There were 15 dead bodies, and guess what? They were all found guilty. That's a surprise. Then it gets even worse. They were sentenced to be hung in the gallows. So they took them all out in the town and made a parade of these dead guys, and then they hung them. They're already dead. Well, you talk about digging up the past. How about something that's already dead? It's dead. It's gone. It's dealt with. It's over. Forget about it. Move on. We do that with stuff in life. We'll, we'll go back and dig up some old hurt, some old pain, some old, he, he put my daddy to death. He signed that treaty. He hurt. She did this to me. He did that to me. Come on. Get it out of your cup. It's bitterness. It's unforgiveness. You've got to figure out how to let go. you got to get it out of your cup. You can't keep digging that stuff up. Don't keep digging up the past. You know 43% of the birds in New Zealand cannot fly? Random fact. 43% of the birds, they can't fly. Okay, and, and they have the world record for the most flightless birds in population. Isn't that cool? It's a cool record you got there. So much so that scientists have even done studies on New Zealand to find out why. How in the world do they have that many birds that cannot fly? And the scientists determined it's because they have very few, almost zero predators that will eat or kill the birds. So from a very young age, when the bird falls out of the nest, it don't matter if he walks around on the ground, there's nothing that's going to kill him. There are no snakes or coyotes or bobcats or anything killing them. There are very few predators. So it's not that they weren't born to fly or that they don't even have wings, but it's that their wings aren't fully developed and their muscles in their wings aren't strong enough to fly because they've never had to. They've never been scared and had to learn how to deal with the fear. They've never had an attack that they had to learn to rise above. They've never had an obstacle. It's just easy. They don't have to get up in a tree. Well, what are you trying to say? Offenses are going to come. We're going to get hurt. You're going to go through some hard things. There's going to be some stuff in life that you don't like. And I'm sorry. And there is for me too. But those are the things that push us to be who we're called to be. If we have the right perspective, and if we keep running to Him for healing, those are the things that make us strong enough to be productive. So that we can do what we were born to do. I don't want to be a bird that can't fly. That sounds pretty embarrassing. People will hurt you. They'll offend you. Man, they'll cut your robe off. Embarrass you. And when you get offended or embarrassed, your butt shows. 
I don't know if you know that. Like the story we just read. They were doing what the king told them to do. It wasn't like they, these guys right here, they weren't even running off in sin or something. They were doing what the king told them to do. Well, we looked at a few weeks ago, the disciples found themselves in a storm doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. And just because you're in a storm or in a hard time or, or you're getting attacked, it don't mean you're out of the will of God. They were doing what the king told them to do. Good representation as far as we know. And it turned out bad. They got offended. David said, wait in Jericho. Just wait. When you are offended, go to a place of past victory. And let the king fight for you. We didn't read the rest, but if you read on in the story, David told Joab, the leader of his army, to take the army and go wage war. Pretty much kick some butt. Your beard will grow back. Let the king fight for you. Remember that movie? Uh, I haven't seen it in a long time, but Black Hawk Down. When things go really bad for them and they're all getting shot up and you don't know if anybody's going to live. And I thought about a line. I thought about that movie. And part when things are really bad and they need to get out of there the commanding officer says get in the Humvee and drive us out of here and the soldier says but sir I've been shot he's got blood all over him and yeah he's been shot but sir I've been shot and then the commanding officer says what I think is one of the greatest lines he said soldier we've all been shot get in the truck and drive We've been hurt. We've all been through some stuff. You don't hold the patent on pain. And I'm not trying to be insensitive. But we've all been confused. Or abused or embarrassed or offended or hurt. If you want life, you got to get in the truck and drive. You must forgive And let God fight for you. Because unforgiveness and bitterness, they'll keep you from being whole. Not somebody else. It'll keep you. The usefulness of a cup is in its ability to be filled and to be poured out. If it can't do those, then what good is it? Look at Mark 10, 35. Look at Jesus with the disciples. Mark 10, 35. They still weren't getting it. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Okay. Like, look, we, would, we want you to give us whatever we want. Picture Jesus like, oh, are you serious? Whatever we desire, verse 36. And he said unto them, what would ye that I should do for you? Yes, sure, yes, sir. What, what is it that I can do for you? What would you want? 
And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on the right hand and one on the other, on the left in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, You know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of? And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. No, you can't. Guys, they want to make it about them. What can I get? Can I sit by his side? Can I, can I make it? Oh, yeah, we can do it. Sure, we can. And Jesus said unto them, You shall indeed of the cup that I drink. Wait a minute. Drink of the cup that I drink of. And with the baptism that I am baptized with, shall you be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give. But it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, the other ten disciples, they began to be much displeased with James and John. They hear them, they're trying to be his favorite. I can't believe they'd go ask him that. I think I should sit on the right hand. But Jesus called them to him. Hey, guys, come here. Come here, look, listen. And he said unto them, You know that they which are accounted to know which they that which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and their great ones exercise authority upon them but so shall it not be among you you're supposed to be different but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. He's like, guys, don't you get it? Even me, I'm the Son of of God and I came to minister to people, not to be ministered to. It's not about what you can get. Jesus said, you're missing the point. It's not about your position or where you sit or what you get or you being famous. It's about who you can serve. It's about what you can give. Are you a giver or a taker? Are you a blessing or a beggar? Lots of people coming to church begging every week. Fill me up. Man, I hope somebody's here to fill me up today. Spiritually, I hope Pastor Dusty Studdy got a good message. Boy, I hope somebody showed up and cleaned. I hope somebody came to work day. I hope, man, I hope that worship team sings that song I like. Because if they don't, boy, I may not get in the spirit and I may not be able to pray. Well, I hope that prayer team's been praying stronger. If not, I'm not going to be healed and my ankle's going to be hurting the whole service and I'm not going to hear God speak. I hope I can get something. If somebody got any change, you know, throw a little bit of change, you know, help a brother out. Let me hold something till Friday. No. Are you a beggar or a giver? Some people never contribute. Let's finish reading this story. You see what I'm talking about. Verse 46. And they came to Jericho. Hey, here's Jericho again. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples 
And a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. He was blind, and he was just begging for a fix. He's looking for a fix. Just, hey, give me enough change. Now y'all don't know who I'm looking at. This is how we get out sniper prayers. See, I can pray for you from up here without laying hands on you. You can't even tell. I'm staring at one of you right now. God, touch her. She needs you. She's a beggar. I'm just kidding. I'm not looking at one of you. Oh, that was a guy. Hey, I just need some food. Give me, give, me, give me enough for tonight. I know it'll be gone tomorrow, but hey, I just need one word. Hey, I just need enough to get by. Blind Bartimaeus was begging. He's looking for a, he's looking for a fix. And when he heard, guys, he couldn't even see. He couldn't see, but thank God that faith comes by hearing. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. Hey, be quiet. You're disrupting the crowd. They charged him that that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still. Jesus stopped. Stopped him in his tracks. Because a beggar cried out. Somebody needs to cry out today. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. Cried all the more, a great deal. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still. And he commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort. Rise. He calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose. And he came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and he said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? That's a pretty bold thing to ask a beggar. A blind beggar. What do you want, man? What what is it? What do you want? Let me hold a million. I mean, who knows what he would have... He could have... Tell me what you want. The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Well, guess what? To receive your sight, that means now you can contribute to society. I'll give you your sight. That's what you want. But Jesus asked him. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight. And he followed Jesus in the way. The crowd told him to be quiet. To stop yelling for God. Jesus! crowd, And I also think it's kind of funny that it's the same crowd that a few minutes later when Jesus stopped, then it was them that was saying, get up and go to him. He's calling you. 
Go to God. Go to Jesus. The same ones, they told him to stop yelling for God. That's what he did for a living. Was yelled and asked and begged. He sat there all day yelling. You got any change? Alms. Alms for the poor. He sat there screaming. Well, now all of a sudden when he started asking for God, he starts asking for healing. People around him say, shut up, man. Be quiet. Stop. Quit yelling. It's okay to ask for stuff. It's okay to ask for a fix. When you start yelling for God, sometimes the crowd will tell you to be quiet when you ask for Jesus. If he listened to the crowd, he would have never gotten healed. The other thing was he left his garment. As soon as Jesus called him, it says he got up and left his garment. You know the garment we've talked about before that like it spoke of who you are and stuff like that. But if you do a little bit of research on it, their garment, uh, the garment of a beggar in their day was actually government issued. Like they would issue, they, they would bring you in and they would do these tests and say, yep, he's really blind. Um, he can't provide for himself. It was like they're, like they would say you're disabled or you can't work. And so then they would give you a beggar's garment that said to everybody around, this is a beggar and he is in need. He needs stuff. And so if you got that coat on, it gives you legal rights to beg, to ask for money to be outside the temple, to be outside the marketplace, to be because you have on your coat, you have on that garment that certifies you as helpless, hopeless, beggar. Weren't tricking anybody. They certified him as a beggar and he had to lay that down. He'd been wearing it for a long time. It was probably comfortable. He looked at it every day. This is who I am. Or he didn't look at it. I guess he was blind. He felt it every day. <laughs> he may not know. He might not like the color. He probably didn't know. Lots of you have been certified all kind of stuff. You've been certified and told you were things that you're not. Maybe you're certified addict or certified drunk or certified helpless, certified divorce, certified broke certified beggar certified screw up what is it until you can throw that off you can't be healed the other thing is that he would have had a cup he had his trusty cup it was with him every day probably got to know it and like it and used it that's how he got his meals. That's how he got anything that he had. His cup. I feel like I got a word for somebody today. You need to get rid of the cup. Because it always runs dry. Your cup's always, it's always empty. You're always, I, I need more, I need more, I need more, I need more. In this area or that area. The cup always runs dry. I think sometimes instead of praying or looking for healing, we pray for some change.
Hey, God, give me some change. Hey, God, give me a Band-Aid to put on this bullet hole. And, and we pray, and it's good, but we're praying for change. And God says, you are the change. If you take off that garment, we pray for the fix. Remember when the children, the children of Israel were slaves and Pharaoh said, make them get their own straw and their own materials and still make the same amount of bricks for the pyramids and the buildings. So now that they've gotten a little stronger, we're going to make them get their own materials, grow their own straw and still make the same amount of bricks. And the children of Israel prayed for strength and supplies. God, help us be better slaves rather than praying for their freedom. It was hard for them to even accept the freedom when Moses showed up. It was a, they were praying to be better slaves. God, help me deal with this oppression rather than, rather than being free. Again, I ask you, what are you a slave to? We start great water-dipping ministries instead of fixing pipes. I don't want to just have a whole bunch of ministries and a, a life that's, that's dipping water. I mean, let's start some ministries that, that fix the pipe, that heal the broken places. Let's get the right stuff in the cup. Comfort is good and Band-Aids are fine. But let's think bigger. We all go through different things in life and, and we can be broken. We can have holes. So this is a wonderful cup. And it's broken a little bit. There's some holes in it. I don't know if they're bullet holes or what, but it's got a couple of holes, but still a pretty good cup cleans up all right and it's like some of us and, and we come into church or or we show up on our job and, and and we pray god fill me up i want that living water that pastor dusty talked about hey i want that water that jesus talked to the woman at the well man when i stand in worship i want you to fill me up and and god does oh i feel better i have peace and joy that overflows it ain't overflowing. It's leaking out of your brokenness. And so God, God, when you fill me up, you fill me up full. And now I'm going to go Monday morning to my job and I'm going to go give a drink to somebody on my job because they need the living water. They, they need you and they don't have water. And here you go, Miss Susan, I brought you some water. Oh, there's nothing there. Can you pray for me? You got any change all of a sudden, you're back begging. Even though you were just full. But pastor, I thought you said that God would use my brokenness. He will. But He wants to heal you. He wants you to come to Him, come to Jesus, and let Him heal the brokenness. Not that you would just live in a state of brokenness for your whole life. Because the ultimate goal is, if you are a good cup, a good little cup... 
that when you get filled up, man, I got to get a lapel mic or something. I'm going to be doing illustrations. Too many years of children's ministry. I like doing illustrations, but. (laughs) That we could come into his presence. See, blind Bartimaeus, to get healed, you know, he got up, he threw off the labels, he opened himself up, he said, hey, I'm blind. He was open, he didn't have a mask on, he wasn't hiding his problems, what he had going on. He wasn't hiding the fact that he was broken. He had an issue, and he came to Jesus. And he got healed, he got got filled. And I can take this cup of water and give it to one of you and you can drink and I have fresh water in my cup and it's not being wasted you can continually be filled and waste it, waste it, waste it, waste it you can get change in your cup over and over and over and and just keep on wasting it but why? I got nothing to give I feel good on Sunday and by Tuesday I have no peace are you a taker or a giver? Now, everybody needs to be filled. No matter if you're whole or, or broken. or We all need to be filled. Even Jesus did. When Jesus ministered, you know, he would get away and go to the mountain. He'd go to God. He'd go get by himself. He'd get alone. We all need to be filled up on a regular basis. I started out talking about that. You don't want to be stagnant. You need to be getting filled up and, and pouring out. Everyone needs to be filled often. Someone that's whole goes around full, making deposits into other people. And a taker, a beggar, a broken cup, they're always needing, they're always empty. Pastor Bruce told us last Wednesday that if you constantly surround yourself with people in crisis, then you will run dry. You must have some healthy people, some people in your life that are making deposits into you. You can't just be all takers. Are you saying we should label people? Do an assessment. If all your friends and everybody you're around is all takers... You're going to run dry. He wants to heal you. In fact, he's got a new cup for you. Let me read you 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to have to read it to you on my phone. Because I wanted to read you the message version. And... uh, um, apparently, 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7 fell out of my message Bible. It's not there. It goes from like 3 to 8. <laughs> so I'm going to read it to you on my phone, but it's the message translation. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 14. And we're almost done. Our firm decision is to work from this focused center. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. 
He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. Hey, that's what we're celebrating today. A resurrection life. A far better life than people ever lived on their own. It's a better deal. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong. As you know, we certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside. And what we see is that everyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start. It's created new. The old life is gone. A new life burdens. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him. That's what it was about. And then called us to settle our relationships with each other. Oh, that's that forgiveness thing. Mm. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah. Giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their defenses and to enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. How, you ask? In Christ, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. How do I fix my cup? Okay, I, I see some broken spots. I, I, see, I see a hole. How, how do I fix my cup? One, admit. Admit that it's broken. Realize it's not everybody else. See, you got to forgive some people to even admit that. Stop pointing fingers. It's it's because of him or her that I'm not where I'm supposed to be. It's because of what happened way back when. It's because of this. Admit, realize your brokenness. Number two, stop listening to the crowd. Go with what you hear. Said he heard Jesus coming by and he started yelling. He didn't listen to the crowd. Stop listening to the crowd. Number three, get rid of your garment and your cup. Four, forgive the ones that broke you. I can't think of anyone that was more broken than Jesus. Scripture tells us that he was beaten beyond recognition, that that he didn't even look like a human anymore. They beat him so bad. I haven't seen any movies that have even come close to what really happened to him. They ripped his beard out and they stood him up on that cross and the first breath he took and the first thing out of his mouth was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I thought about when I read that this week, something I've never really thought about. He said, Father, forgive them, maybe because he couldn't. 
They ripped his beard out. Father, forgive them. I can't right now. I'm hurting. I'm dying. I don't know that. I just. But he knew. He had to forgive. I was going to read you the story of the perfect one, Jesus. And how he died for you. But I've gone a long time and I'm going to wrap it up. By telling you a different story. It's a story that I heard about. A little girl named Maddie. And her dad. And it was Christmas Eve. Maddie was about five years old. And the family was all over. And, and she came up to him after they had got done eating a big Christmas Eve dinner with the family. And, and Maddie said, Daddy, are we going to dance? They danced every Christmas Eve. He would turn on the old record and Maddie's mom had died having her. And so every Christmas Eve, they would turn on her mom's favorite song and she would get to put on her mom's dress and she would dance with her dad. And he would spin her around and pick her up and she would laugh and she looked forward to it every year. And it was really the only time for years that he was happy and remembered his wife. So the years went on and they kept doing it. And Maddie became a teenager and she started getting a little less interested in dancing with dad. And then she got her little boyfriend, a little punk from down the street. And her dad didn't like him. He told her, Maddie, you need to stay away from that boy. He's trouble. He's no good. She said, but I love him. Girls, listen to you, Dad. <laughs> I love him. He wants to marry me. Christmas Eve rolled around. And Maddie said, Dad, I'm going out with my boyfriend. I'll be back late. And he said, but wait, our tradition, aren't we going to dance? I, I, got, I got mom's dress cleaned. She said, I ain't dancing with you, Dad. I'm done with that. I'm not a baby anymore. And she left. And a week later, her boyfriend decides that he's going to move to Houston, Texas, and bring her with him. So she knew her dad wouldn't let her go, and he would disapprove so she packed up her bags while dad was at work and she disappeared. She didn't tell her dad where she was going, what was going on. She just ran away. A couple weeks later, you would think it would last longer than that, but about two weeks later, they're in an apartment there in Houston and her boyfriend says to her, you know what, I don't love you anymore. You need to get out. I'm done with this relationship. She said, where will I go? What will I do? I don't, I don't even know anybody in the city. I don't, I, and he said, I don't care. Go home, whatever. See ya. Bye. Kicked her out. So now she was too hurt and too ashamed to go back home to dad. She didn't want to go back and tell him that he was right. That the boy turned out to be a no good or that, that she couldn't make it on her own. She was too prideful to go back. 
She had nowhere to go, so she ended up in a homeless shelter for $2 a night sleeping in a bunk bed. And she was running out of money quick because she only had a little bit of money saved up. So when she was on her last $2, it's the last day I can afford a bunk. The girl sitting on the bunk bed next to her was counting out money and had a whole stack of money. She said, hey, where'd you get all that money? I really need to figure out how to make some money. And the girl said to Maddie, oh, you can come with me. I can get you a job. They'll pay you to dance. Can you dance? Do you have rhythm? She said, yeah. She said, okay, come with me. So she took her and she got her a job dancing. And she started making money. And she got her an apartment. And less than a month after she got an apartment in her name, she got a letter. And she recognized her dad's handwriting on the front of the letter. And it just broke her heart. She said, how he found me? As soon as I got an apartment in my name, how many cities was he searching? How long has he been looking like? How? But the hurt was too much, and so she couldn't open the letter, and she just put it in a box. And every couple weeks, another letter would come, and she never opened them. She just put them in the box, put them in the box, put them in the box. Christmas Eve rolls around the day of of Christmas Eve and she goes into work and she goes to her desk to get ready and there's an envelope laying on her desk with no stamp on the envelope and she recognized her dad's handwriting and she said to one of the other girls where did this come from she said oh uh, an older man dropped it off earlier do you know him Maddie sat down in her chair and she began to cry because now he knows How did he know I was here? He found me. What I was so embarrassed to let any of the family find out and and who I am and what I've chosen and what I've done, he, he was here. She opens up the letter. And she looked down at the letter and began to cry. And all it said, it was just a card and it said, Will you dance again? Love, Dad. The Father wants to dance with you. Others want you to dance for them. And today I just feel so strong that that the Father, the King, is calling out to you. And His question is, will you dance again? He wants to heal you. He wants to make you whole. He doesn't want to use you or abuse you or hurt you. He wants to bring healing so that you can be useful and you can be full of that living water of that life. I hope you can hear the voice of your father today. Say, will you dance again? God of creation. I'm going to read you, I'm just going to read you some lyrics from that song, and then I'm going to ask you to, those of you that that want to, to come down and and take communion. But I'm going to ask that whenever I say, so will I, 
you repeat me and say, so will I. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time, with no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of life. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've made. Every burning star, a signal fire of grace. If creation sings your praises, so will I. God of your promise. He keeps His promises. You don't speak in vain. No syllable empty or void. For once you have spoken. All nature and science follow the sound of your voice. And as you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath. Evolving in pursuit of what you said. If it all reveals your nature, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you say. Every painted sky, a canvas of your grace. If creation still obeys you, so will I. So will I. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. And if the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. If the sum of all our praises still falls shy, then we'll sing again a hundred billion times. I like this part. God of salvation. You chased down my heart through all of my failure and pride. Anybody got any failure? You got any pride? On a hill you created, the light of the world abandoned in darkness to die. I thought about that when I was singing this song this week. Remember when God created the earth and He was speaking things into existence and He was creating mountains? And You think He paused when He created that hill? Golgotha. The angels are probably like, what's up? Why aren't you stopping? What's going on? That's a special hill. Nah, you created the Rockies and you created Mount Everest. And God's like, yeah, but one day I'm going to let people kill my son on that hill. What? Why? Why would you do that? So that I can have many sons and many daughters that they could come home to me and so I could heal them and they could have life and they don't have to live in death they don't have to spend their whole life begging that I could heal their brokenness that I could heal their wound I'm creating that heal on purpose because it's part of my plan and God's not stuck on a timeline so at the moment he created the heal he was also standing there watching his beaten, bruised, mauled, mangled son hang and he was also here now watching his sons 
and his daughters. On a hill you created, the light of the world abandoned in darkness to die. Did you know Jesus had a cup? As you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. Jesus had a cup. A pure, clean, spotless cup. And one day, a man looked at another man and hated him because of the color of his skin. And he murdered him. And that murder, it became a liquid. And it went into the cup. One day a mom looked at a child. And she hated him because he reminded her of someone that had hurt her. And she abused that child. And abuse became a liquid and it went into the cup. One day a guy sat and he looked at some things that he should have never looked at and he went to some places he should have never gone. And lust became a liquid and it went into the cup. And lies became liquid and they went into the cup. And brokenness became liquid and abuse became liquid and any sin and vile and nasty, ugly thing that you can think of went into the cup. And it was the nastiest, grossest cup that anybody's ever imagined. Jesus was handed the cup. In the garden, we read that Jesus didn't want to drink the cup. He was having so much struggle over this that he was sweating drops of blood were coming out his pores. He was having such anxiety and he looked... He looked at the cup. He said, Dad, I don't want to drink the cup. I can't drink murder. I I can't drink hate. I can't drink child abuse. I don't want to drink the cup. God said, drink the cup, son. I got this. Those drops of blood that night in the garden, those are the ones that covered my sin. I'm convinced. Not the ones from the nails. It was the ones in the garden. He said, okay, Dad. Not my will, but yours. I'll drink the cup. I'll drink it. If there's no other way. This was the point of his birth. It was God's plan. It was the only way. Luke twenty two seventeen, The word on the street translation. Jesus is with all the disciples right before he's crucified. He picks up a wine cup. And he thanks his father for it. And he says, pass this around and let's all drink from the same cup. We got to drink from the same cup. There's no room for division. There's no room for hate. We all drink the same cup, same grace, same life, same Jesus.
It'll be my last until heaven on earth is more than just talk. And then he takes a bread loaf. And he thanks his father again and he rips it into pieces. And each of the team gets a chunk. And he says, this bread symbolizes me. My body. As we're the body. We're the body of Christ now. It symbolizes him, but it symbolizes us. And he said, it'll be ripped apart for you. Wait. I'm part of the body of Christ and I'll be broken for me. I want you to reenact this as a memory trigger. Don't forget me. He said, I want you to take communion and remember that my blood covers. Tomorrow night, I'm going to drink your cup. And I'm going to give you a new cup. And the new cup will be full of my blood. And it's going to cover everything you've ever done and everything you'll ever do. And every vile thing and all, every, everything will be covered by the new cup. Don't just put some duct tape on your cup. Get rid of it. Take his cup. Take the cup of blood. They finish the meal and Jesus picks up the wine cup. Deep in thought, he says, this wine cup is the new contract sealed with my blood. This cup is the new contract sealed with my blood. Blood that will hit the ground for you. I invite you to come now and, and take communion. We've got it here. Um, here in this basket, the, the wafers on the top and then the juices in the bottom. As a sign that I'm done with my cup. My cup of sin, my cup of unforgiveness, my, my beggar's cup, whatever category you find yourself in. My just looking for a fixed cup, my, my broken cup with holes that's just spewing out everywhere. As you come take the communion, remember the sacrifice that was made. Remember what he did for you. And it's a sign. I'm done with my cup. I'm taking his cup. God, heal the broken. We know that in your presence there is healing. God, we received the cup of salvation today. Thank you for the sacrifice that was made. Jesus drank your cup so you could drink his.